Did you always want your parents to be cooler than they actually were as a kid? Well, we might have the solution for you today. On Late to the Party, we are talking about Spy Kids, the 2001 movie with Antonio Banderas and Carla Gugino, whose name I'm going to mangle on a regular basis throughout the course of this podcast. We're doing a reverse episode today. Late to the Party was formed with the idea that I am a 40-year-old, am getting old, and people who are younger than me have no frame of reference on the things that were important for me when I was a kid. My name is Matt. Hi, I'm Sydney. I'm a 21-year-old, hip with the times, if you will. And I am West, uh, freshly 22, and so, so excited for all the controversial things that I'm going to say about this week's movie. (laughs) And how can that go wrong? And we are all uh, comedians and performers at Comedy City, once upon a time that once existed and hopefully will again someday. We'll see. But we're doing a reverse episode today where we're looking at something that was important to Sydney and West when they were kids and that I have never seen before. I really, I cannot stress the importance of this movie and the uh, the impact that it had on me as an impressionable young child. Wow. That's disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is about spies and spy gadgetry. And your experience with that is somewhat representative of your age and your time bracket. Personally, I'm always a fan of jetpacks because I am a, I'm a fan of flying. If neither of you have seen The Rocketeer, for example, I strongly recommend digging that one out and seeing it because it, <laughs> it is a fantastic low-key Disney movie. But what are some of your guys' favorite spy gadgets? My favorite gadget is straight out of this movie. Not this Spy Kids, I believe. It makes an appearance in the second Spy Kids movie, Island of Lost Dreams, which mm-hmm. actually is probably my favorite one of the entire franchise. It's but we'll get into the that. the superior one, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Steve Buscemi, amazing. Uh, anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> my favorite gadget is from that movie, or from this franchise, It is the Spy Watch that the kids are given, I believe, by their uncle in the second movie. And it has a satellite internet access. It's a cell phone. It can do, it's got like global positioning system in it. The only thing that it cannot do is tell time. But I was obsessed with the idea of this watch as a child. And I'm almost positive. I know the first Spy Kids movie had a McDonald's franchise as they not so subtly put into it. those golden arches was there somewhere yeah i think they had a kids meal toy that was the watch for the second movie because i do remember owning that watch i had that watch and i wore it constantly hey west i had the guns that they tried to use like the ones with the no way thing on it i did i had a gun as a kid oh oh, well you know oh what that's that's probably not the best way to phrase it and it spun around like it did in the movie. <laughs> and I wanted to be like Carmen, so I threw it at people. Not fair. My mom never got me one of those. <laughs> I mean, that's the way, that is the only way that we've seen the gun be used is as a projectile. Oh, yeah. Well, and so what do you think about the fact that you have low-key ended up with that technology in your pocket now? I mean, I think it's, oh my God. I honestly, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but I'm almost positive whoever owns Apple now, whatever his name is, like Dave or whatever. Tim Apple. Tim Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Totally Apple. ripped the idea for the Apple Watch from Spy Kids. 
I'm I am positive. I stand by that. That is a hardened stance that he should be sued for everything that the Apple Watch is worth because this was Robert Rodriguez's over. This was his idea. He is <laughs> a visionary. That is something funny about, you know, where we've ended up with modern technology because when I was a kid, touchscreens were mind-blowing. Oh yeah, they were revolutionary. Yeah, and now it's passé. I mean, like, yeah, I've got a I've got a touchscreen supercomputer in my pocket. Mm-hmm. What of it? We are all basically entry-level spies at this point. I mean, right? And, you know, I've been suspicious about some people in my life and I've had to do a little bit of spying. And I, you know, I was, I'm always right. And sometimes it's disappointing how good I am at spying uh, at this point, finding out things that I actually didn't want to know. But I did anyways, because I'm too good at it. Yep. Not a good plan. (laughs) Uh, So Sydney, what was your favorite spy device or is your favorite spy device? Well, as per usual, I have two. One of mine uh-huh. also comes from Spy Kids too, and it's probably the most useless gadget in the entire series, but I think it's the most badass, and it's the one where, I don't remember his name, but he was like the rival of the Spy Kids, and he had the blonde spiky hair. Oh, yes. He had these sunglasses, and I wish I had these. He put them on, and it said bad boy on his glasses oh yeah those were pretty Just, cool he was his oh, character yeah. was the older brother of emily, yeah, young emily osmond right yes that's correct and she if had I'm those remembering the right spiky haired blonde kid yeah that that spun around that would actually there was a lot in the 90s for helicopter pigtails <laughs> yeah their helicopter was, pigtails <laughs> which i also wanted they honestly much. they were way ahead of the curve they were coming up with they were coming up with spy gear that no other spy movie could even conceptualize. They were going fucking nuts. I appreciated the creativity. My other one would probably be that flashy thingy from Men in Black, the one that erases the memories. I think that one is really oh, neat. Classic. I could use that. Yeah. I could use that in a lot of situations. I'm sure that that is giving people some kind of aneurysm or like you can't you can't do that without causing some kind of brain damage. Absolutely. You're know. sunshine of the spotless minding these people with no consent. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's more for like when I goof up. I would absolutely I would love to use it on myself to forget. <laughs> so so your- you can go back and be like I didn't I didn't just do that. I just yeah. I came up those stairs successfully. I did not I fall and drop my coffee. This was here when I got here. Go about your back. See, I'm clumsy. Yeah. I, I could really have used a device like that after my last genuinely was my last audition. It was 3 years ago and it was so bad that I have not auditioned for anything since. Oh. I auditioned for the musical The Wild Party when it was being put up in Topeka mm-hmm. at the Ad Astra Theater, which has been dissolved since then. Rip, rest mm. in peace, Ad Astra. And my audition at every single step went so poorly. I just wish that I could erase the memory of that audition <laughs> from the director's minds, the other auditionees, and from my own, because at least once a week, I jolt out of bed from a dead <laughs> in a in a cold sweat over the memory of this terrible terrible water do you feel comfortable giving examples you know of what? what it went wrong you know what Sydney? <laughs> i would love to i would love to i would love to expound on this worst moment of my entire life uh, it was i want to say not entirely my fault but 98 percent my fault i was actually going to back out of auditioning but my friend told me that i had to do it just because 
I back out of things quite often. Uh, and so he just said, you need to do this for yourself. And I said, you know what, dude, you're right. I'm going to do this and I'm going to nail this audition. And I didn't. And I, <laughs> I did not have a song prepared. I had no music prepared. I had not read any of the asides. I forgot how to dance. I did not wear character shoes. I wore Vans. To this audition Ooh. i did every single thing that you are not supposed to do for an audition because as much as i like doing plays i am not a theater person to be completely honest right so mm -hmm. i did and for those of you who do not know what the wild party is it is very much in the same vein of chicago it's like that same kind of style that same era of like music you know you've got the flappers and everything and so the song that i auditioned with was from chicago and it was funny honey but mm -hmm. again no music prepared. I said, you oh. know what? I can, I, I've been listening to the soundtrack for months now. I can do it acapella. Mm. No. No, <laughs> no. No, I couldn't. And I, I forgot the words halfway through. Oh. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm cringing so hard just thinking about it. <gasps> no. Hey. I still have nightmares like that where I am going up to perform a play that I have not read. Not that I just don't have it memorized. Like, I can't wing it. I mm. Guys, and I'm going to skip over some of the embarrassing parts of the audition. And I'm just going to say the worst part probably was after I had read a side with a couple of different people. I read a side with one person, went to, sat, went to sit down, and the director just looked at me and said, West, you can go. And oh. I, oh Ouch. my God, I just did. I just, I said nothing. I got up, I accept, I took my L, and I left. <laughs> and I went and I sat in my car, and I just deep a sigh. <laughs> you know what would be good for that, an experience like that? The Neuralizer from Men in Black. <laughs> right? The Neuralizer. Absolutely. The Neuralizer. God, I wish I could get it. <laughs> because I have had moments like that for too many times that I can count. There was a time when I was trying to do a singing audition and I and I was doing an audition for Footloose. I was doing the song like um, Need a Hero or something like that. And I figured my audition was kind of stale towards the beginning. So I added dance moves to my singing. And I don't know if you've oh. ever seen me dance. Oh. But it's something similar to plucking chickens. And <laughs> it wasn't like very you, good. You can dance, can't you? I feel like I have the most vivid memory of when I first met you, you teaching me like how to do a waltz. You, I, I know you how to have teach dancing dance. abilities. I have dance abilities, but <laughs> not improvised dance abilities. I know how to dance like to counts, to gotcha. beats. And that's very important. That's very that important. is. Improvised dance, however, I'm not. I'm not gonna whip out a tango within five minutes. I'm. I need the time to practice, and I did not have that time. And I wanted to wow the judges so bad, and it looked like I was on fire. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were wowed. They didn't sure they say anything to me. <laughs> oh, wow. They looked at me. Their mouths oh. were open, like a little ajar. Not so much that it was comical. <laughs> But enough to know that I oh, goofed God. up hard. <laughs> you had not hit the mark quite in the way that you were hoping to. Not at all. But I know that I left a memorable impression. And that's all I could have hoped for in that moment. And you know what? When it comes down to it, 
just making sure that the directors remember your face. <laughs> that's one of the most important parts of auditioning because when you walk in, they'll remember and they'll immediately tell you to turn around and leave. <laughs> we <get> don't know. <laughs> they'll be like, we don't need to waste <laughs> our time here. You're black <laughs> why did you come <laughs> but i wanted to touch on just one more thing before we get really into like the plot of this incredible movie mm-hmm. it wasn't a gadget so much as it was i think it's called the nix the nix super guppy and i'm not sure if it's the same one in each movie because i know they use it again in another movie in the franchise but it is basically the submarine that they get away in right in a mm-hmm. couple of different scenes i was so obsessed with the idea of having just like a little submarine that could make me instant McDonald's food whenever I wanted and a little tiny toilet. I that is pretty badass. That. that was everything that I could have. I was obsessed with just like miniature things as a kid. I collected like tiny knickknacks of like, I had like little wooden charcuterie boards and tiny soda cans and stuff. And so just any, if you can make something tiny, right. I was all about it. And cool. I still would like to have that. What are your personal histories with this movie? So I honestly, I didn't realize until I started watching this, I think I was four years old when this movie came out. So it's not like I had that like seeing it in the theaters experience, but Mm -hmm. it still, it was a very successful movie when it came out. I think that it was, I mean, it was a commercial success. It, I think in like the opening week of the premiere, it grossed over like 147 million dollars worldwide well they did make three more of them yeah and it was there's a fourth one actually there is a fourth one oh yeah because they did like that 4d thing that was like popular at the time and it came with like scratch and stickers i've never seen the fourth oh i was looking at the trailer for it it's a it's a new generation kind of thing too because the parents in that one are jessica alba and joel McHale, and it's different kids and like the original Spy Kids make an appearance, but it's in the same universe and in the same family, but it's not the same kids who are the Spy I Kids in this case. I don't think I'm okay with that. Why would you explicitly not cast Antonio Banderas in the movie again? Why would you make it so that he is not a key component to the movie? I think you might reach a point where Antonio Banderas has better shit to do with his time. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's you know he's probably got other stuff going on. I don't know. Spy Kids peak of his career. I mean, not like he ages or anything, but the cast of this movie is so off the wall to me because we've <laughs> of got all of the movies Antonio Banderas. Yeah, we've got Carla Gugino, whose name right. I should have googled ahead of time. We do have Same problem. Vega who moved on to do a lot of like really good movies later on in her career and also looks nothing like she did as a child. Unlike Daryl Sabara, who looks exactly like he did when he was a child. <laughs> and we've also got Tony Shaloub. I don't think that I'm saying that right. You know what? No, I'm you're gonna, right. I'm, I'm gonna commit to it. Tony Shaloub. Right. Is is he the dude who plays Monk on the yep. show Monk? We've got yep. Monk. We've got Alan Cumming. We've got Machete. We've got Danny Trejo and Chief Marin. What is who? Who was the casting genius? Don't forget the George Clooney thrown in there at the end. Did you did oh, you know? And we've that? got a beautiful cameo by George Clooney. George Clooney. 
Robert Patrick, you guys don't know. I don't know. Are you are you Terminator 2 fans? I've never seen a ter- Terminator movie. Uh, and you should know that about me by now. That's true. <laughs> Terminator, when it came out in like 90, whatever 90, the, the Terminator 2 came out, it was the biggest goddamn thing. And Robert Patrick, who is Mr. Lisp, was the bad, the evil Terminator in Terminator 2 and never did a whole like he had he's gotten a couple you know parts here and there afterwards but he's so he's mr lisp so like he was instantly recognizable at the time Mm -hmm. because terminator 2 was still fresh in people's minds and everybody saw terminator 2 god and you know speaking of like this movie probably not being the peak of some of these actors careers Every single scene that featured Danny Trejo, I could just see something in his eyes that said that he was doing this just because he needed to pay rent. He needed that money so bad (laughs) just in that moment. I think Danny Trejo is cool with having acting work in general. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's just, he's just, he does it for the love of the sport. He's just having a good time. He doesn't care about credibility, quality, continuity. (laughs) But that's part of the Trejo charm. (laughs) He certainly, he did bring uh, an element to this movie that I think would have made the movie lackluster otherwise. I mean, this movie is off the walls in probably every respect, but Danny Trejo is like the rug that ties the room together. He's got to feel good about not being typecast for once. Like, you know, he's the gadget guy in this one as opposed to... Or right. the murderer. Yeah. Or the shit killer. I did really like the bit at the when he's introduced as the gadget guy where he's just poking his finger with a soldering iron. Yeah. Like that's that's the <laughs> lowest budget way to do that. Like, yeah, it's the smallest camera in the world. So, like, what are we gonna do for that? Idea. Nothing. We don't need to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't need to make props for that one. Nope. <laughs> done and done. So Sydney, what's your experience with this movie? Well, I, of course, had a crush on Junie. He was the love of my life after Devin Sawa. And he is he, very Sawi. Okay. He is very Sawi. I agree. I, um, I've always, I don't know. I have a thing for curly haired guys, I guess. But okay. he, even I though I had a crush on him. Right there with oh my gosh. Even though I had a crush on him, he pissed me off in this movie so many times. He, even as a kid, I was like, I kind of, oh my God. I see why he got relentlessly bullied by his sister. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, I've, I think I'm the only one here who has siblings. Is that correct? Correct. You are right. That is an accurate representation of siblings. You will literally, like, you could shave their head, scream at them, tell them to go straight to hell, and then like, 10 minutes later be like you want to go get some food and they'll be like yeah sure like that is the weirdest the weirdest relationship it's very i think that i think i would be i would be a much more hardened and less sensitive person than i am now if i had had siblings the closest thing to a sibling that i did have was my cousin who was like a year older than me and we spent a lot of time together and we i mean we fought like siblings but at the end of the day I didn't have to live with this guy. I could go home. It was kind of like a, it was kind of like a nine to five of like right. go to grandma's, fight with Eddie, watch whatever that one wrestling cartoon was on Cartoon Network, watch SpongeBob, eat crackers, go right. home. End of the day, clock out. And I didn't have to deal with it anymore. It does seem like the sibling relationship doesn't really pay off if it is going to pay off until you're like in your 20s. 
Oh yeah, and you have, like, you have some kind of bond. Are you Sid? Are you still close to your siblings? I am. I'm very close to my siblings. I wasn't when we were living together because. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. This is how our house was set up. There's three rooms that us three. I have two sisters and a brother. So us three sisters, we all we were like super happy to be sisters and all that. So we wanted to be close to each other. So we took the three rooms that were all right next to each other. The thing is, though, there was only one bathroom. Every morning would be a war. It would be, like, if you heard the shower go on, the other two sisters would, like, rise up like Dracula out of the coffin, you know? Mm-hmm. And we would just go on attack mode instantly. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine it would just be a knockdown drag out if I had to share my bathroom with more than one person. Oh, it was a I blood bath every single morning. Every single morning. We would be um it wouldn't matter if we were in like the deepest sleep ever. Every time I heard that shower go on. Just like the creak of the handle, the water comes down and you are basically already at the door. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and Every time be like, I'm just about to get in there. I was just about to get in there. Every single time. I was just about to get in there. I was just asleep. God. Yeah. So this this movie is, I think it one of the, the things I will attribute to this movie is it does seem like a very accurate depiction of not only like sibling dynamics, but also just the way that kids behave in general. I think that something that I've noticed in a lot of movies where the kids are the heroes uh, versus the adults being the heroes is... The kids are perfect at everything and the adults are just like fumbling idiots, like totally incapable of taking care of themselves. But this movie does a fantastic job of balancing between the kids are flawed. I mean, Junie's got like a warts problem, which full disclosure, I also had as a child. Don't know if it was because sweat. I think I was just a gross kid. The kids are gross. And kids are gross. And they did a good job of portraying that. And also, the, the adults are capable. They just, for this particular mission, they needed the skill sets of the children. Right. Which I, I completely agree with. Because, like, I never got into any of the Nickelodeon sitcoms, like the tween sitcoms. Mm-hmm. But we've always, in, in, like, the house with my son, we've kind of put a kibosh on that or like never really introduced him to it or wanted him to watch any of that for that very reason that it's like the adults are idiots and the kids have really shitty attitudes and they're they're snappy about everything and it's just all clever comebacks and they're the smartest in the world and it's like this is insufferable right. like that's i don't not, and that's not something you want to like expose your child to and make god no a regular like make the, normalize it to your kid right and, this movie, I think, is just like a very, very good depiction of what a family movie should be. Because you read a lot of the reviews, this has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, people like it. People like it because it is entertaining for anyone who watches it. I think it's maybe entertaining to the adults because it's nuts to look at and you're probably in awe the entire time but it's entertaining for everybody and it has robert rodriguez i think in an interview after the movie stated that he wanted to make it like the perfect family movie right and i think he nailed he nailed it he did a great job i had experience with everything that robert rodriguez had made i believe up until this point and when spy kids came out it was 2001 mm-hmm. So I would have been somewhere around 22 and 
and I was too old for this shit at that point, <laughs> at least uh-huh. from how this movie looked. I got to respect Robert Rodriguez for, you know, learning all of the things that he did about filmmaking and working with Quentin Tarantino and, and making, you know, El Mariachi and Desperado and Dust from Dust Till Dawn and then being like, you know what? I'm going to make a, an awesome family kids movie now. Right. I'm just going to I'm going to flip it on its head and he will this was like his big project but it took him so long to get the movie out because the special effects he wanted to be so intricate and i thought it was so funny to go from watching the movies that we have watched in the past like the special effects in killer clowns from outer space to seeing the kind of effects that you were able to do in 2001 right i mean still today today's standard they look cheesy but you can just see from like the early 90s to a decade later just how quickly the technology to do these animations and to do these special effects just advanced so rapidly. Oh yeah, because Robert Rodriguez does like everything himself and on the cheap too. I found it funny that the bigger the action was in the movie, the worse the special effects looked. Like on an intimate basis. There's like a special charm with those special effects though, because even though they are, you know, really crappy looking, it's still, it's nostalgic how crappy they are, you know? The only place it really breaks for me when watching it was the stuff that they're doing at speed, like the high speed, even the small scale jetpack stuff looked a lot better than once they were out in the world with the <laughs> jetpacks or the plane or anything like that, like that. Right. It, was, it was like, oh, this is all of a sudden got looking really fake. <laughs> and I mean, like for what a success the movie was, there is continuity errors out the wazoo with this fucking movie. Pardon my French. But this movie was shot in honestly like a very, very short amount of time. I think the entire filming of this movie took place over the span of like 10 weeks. And you can tell, I mean, it was easy probably to do because so much of it takes place in front of a green screen. Right. Probably 80% of the movie is shot in front of a green screen. And there are, I know what you mean, like there are some of the like the pacing in the movie or like when they aren't doing all their weird science fiction stuff. There's a scene where Carmen and Junie are in San Diablo and they are running from, I think they're running from the Thumb Thumbs. They're running from some kind of henchman of floops. <laughs> and they run into a clothing store. And yes. just, they run into a clothing store and then they attach their jetpacks to a clothing rack and distract the Thumb Thumbs. But then they just walk out in new clothing without paying for it. And everybody and else in the store is like, this is normal. Walk- this is just, The lady behind the counter watches them walk out and i'm like oh well they're criminals now i mean (laughs) they did have bigger things to worry about with giant thumb-sized men coming in on jetpacks i just would have liked one lady follow them outside of the store and be like excuse me (laughs) Uh, pardon me and then so they walk out of the store in the new clothes and then immediately this scene made zero sense to me. I watched it probably five times trying to figure out what was going on. They walk out of the store and hop onto a trolley and Carmen just like cuddles up with this random couple on the back of the trolley and the, the couple just goes with it. You know what? She's not yet. The mom isn't like, what the fuck? You know what? Put her arm around her. The same thing happened to me the other day. I went to the park and there was these two kids and they came up to me. They were like racing or something to the bench that I was sitting on. On, and I swear to God, I was about to punch a child because they were <laughs> well, they were, they were running up run from evil henchmen, and they yeah. needed you to be a cover for them. They were running up to me, so and I just imagined the conversation the couple had was just like, 
well, you know, we were planning on kidnapping some children anyways, and these ones just kind of fell right into our lap. God, it's They're just dressed so easy. stylishly. We might as well kidnap them. I, yeah, who they are these right in. children? You know, all the time I have kids running up to me being like, quick, I'm being chased by henchmen. I need you to be my beard. Oh my God, like one so freaking week. What is this world coming to? And this actually is a good segue to the controversial point that I wanted to bring up. There were a couple of parallels in this movie that seemed vaguely in reference. It would be retroactively a reference for, what is the most gentle way I can put this? <laughs> I think Loop's Castle is a metaphor for Epstein's Island. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw that out there. And here are my points. Please so, elaborate, please. First of all, we have robotic child slaves. And you know, This might be a little blue. We have robotic child slaves with no minds. It just seems a little bit on the nose for me. Because who was the the fucking consultant on this movie that said (laughs) that we need an island, we need a virtual room, which you cannot tell me was not a sex dungeon. And we've got robotic child slaves. If Ghislaine Maxwell didn't have a hand in the production of this movie, (laughs) I would be fucking shocked. Was this a Weinstein I don't know if this was Miramax or not. Oh, please tell me no. <laughs> There's an underlying message that maybe we just haven't had the the information to pick up on yet. And also, he's got an assi- Floop's got an assistant who, whose name is Minion. And that's just a little too gimpy for my taste. Oh. <laughs> and I was just watching these scenes unfold, and I was having like this wide-eyed revelation over just everything that was happening. And also, you know, they make that offhanded comment when they're in the cave of the sleeping shark. And anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about or has never seen this movie is going to be so fucking lost. But (laughs) they're in the scene with the sleeping sharks. And Carmen makes this passing comment that says, you're not a man. They wouldn't want you. (laughs) I don't really like that. I think that this is because there's too many, too many lines are linking up here. To add to that gimp theory that you... Uh, that you put on earlier. He did enjoy being turned flugel. Did you notice that he was he laughing? He loved it. He was into it. He was, he into, was it. into it. He was excited. So, so we can officially call the turn in the movie Mr. Minions. He's a switch. He goes from being a sub to being a dom. Yes. Oh about two thirds of the way through the movie. <laughs> He's very versatile. Also, it wasn't until I was looking up the... I guess I just missed this in the movie because there are a lot of things to miss in this movie because there's so much happening at once and the dialogue is just very choppy and it's not natural in a lot of places. But there, his name, he's not just Minion. His name is mm-hmm. Alexander Minion. That's his legal government name. Right. That's all I wanted to say. Those are all of my my parallels to Epstein's Island. And I just, I think somebody needs to break the story on this. I think, I think Robert Rodriguez knew the entire time. Uh, This is going to get deleted. (laughs) So quickly. So Antonio Banderas, for background, Antonio Banderas and Carla uh, Gugino uh, are former spies and their wedding gets broken up with the CGI-iest attack helicopters I have ever seen. Oh my god, yes. In the bedtime story. And so then they, they have to go on the secret mission 
or they have to go fuck for the weekend. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> exactly what it their is. Was. <laughs> Maybe had they taken care of business more often without worrying about the kids, this movie would have never happened. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they had focused on their careers. But you know, some some things they just happen. You can't control the speed that life comes at you. Like when you karate chop a frozen swan, swan. in the neck. Yeah. Oh right. <laughs> Pre-wedding jitters, you know? Everybody right? gets them. That's what happens. I love the bad guy stuff in this movie, or what you think is the bad guy stuff, with the, for some reason, it, the children's show. You know, you have, God, you know, your analogy, West, just starts to make more and more sense because they have captives brainwashed and performing on television. I didn't pick that up as a child, just how twisted that part of the movie is because it's they are spies that have been mutated to the point where they are their brains and he says this their brains have been turned to mush right that is dark that is all grim. that yeah all that children's show stuff is creepy as fuck like it is <laughs> the fact that this movie didn't actually give me nightmares and instead was a favorite of mine right i think has in some way twisted maybe my perspective on the world and i'm only <laughs> now being able to unpack this like in the pitch rob rodriguez is like they're like nightmare teletubbies like just yeah, yeah. They speak in reverse and they have no, they are chained to each other except when they are forced to perform for the entertainment of children and everyone's just super cool with it. That being said, there are worse ways to be tortured. Like there are worse, worse things that he could have done. I suppose that's... <laughs> I can't, technically, I can't things immediately come to mind, but I'm sure you're right. <laughs> it's different flavors. I mean, I guess if I'm going to roll over glass or I'm going to roll over, you know, rusted metal, I, there's a, there's a, would a be, choice to be made. <laughs> I guess. <Step> down. <laughs> Though, guys, I kind of love the thumbs. I, I, I love, love them. They are adorable. I found them to be super cute. Even as a kid, I thought that they were just they the are. goofiest like little thing. And but that's also, such a terrible joke. It's such a bad joke <laughs> that they're all thumbs and they're literally <laughs> thumbs. Like, it is I the worst. That. I just hadn't noticed. You have to assume that all of the henchmen thumbs, all of the thumb thumbs are men because the nurse thumb is like a slender... I don't even manicured. She's, like she's manicured. Yep. Because yep. she's so slender and has boobs for what? Well, were there boobs on the female thumb thumb? How how could you tell if she was a female unless she had yeah. boobs? <laughs> My bad. My bad. <laughs> and I, that just seemed unnecessary but you know what to say that one thing in this movie is unnecessary would be throwing a lot of things away <laughs> have either of you seen the movie four rooms before i don't think so what was it four rooms four rooms i have not i've seen the room i've seen room four rooms was a movie that they made in after a lot of these guys uh hit it was it's an anthology movie that's also a throwback to the classic jerry lewis movies like the bellhop which is where the inspiration for the movie comes from so tim roth is a bellhop that is working in this hotel on New Year's Eve in somewhere in the 90s. The movie is made up of four stories 
of four different rooms that he serves throughout the course of the night. Over the course of this New Year's Eve, each of the different room stories was directed by a different filmmaker who was hot at the time. So, oh my god, yes. Actually, I remember reading while I was doing research on this movie, they had brought up four rooms. Actually, I yeah. do know what you're talking about. And so Quentin Tarantino directed one of those and Robert Rodriguez directed another one. And the one that Robert Rodriguez directed was about these two kids whose parents were Antonio Menderes and some other woman. I forget the actress who was his wife at the thing. Oh, yes, because he cast Antonio Banderas first, then he cast the children, and he cast the wife based on appearance just so she would look like the children. In that one? Yes, in four rooms. In four rooms. Yeah, that makes sense. Because the kids are, it's a young boy and his slightly older sister. And the parents go out for the night and leave them there in the hotel room. And they charge Tim Roth with checking in them every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And the kids are a giant pain in the ass. And by the end of the thing, they have discovered a dead hooker in the mattress of the of the bed and syringe and so like they come in they they come in at the end of the night to just complete chaos but even the kid in that movie is like a version of of uni in this so like that story is the first draft of spy kids the kids are the same and and antonio banderas and his wife are the really cool parents who like peace out and leave them there to yeah, super cool. Leave your kids at a hotel. They'll be fine. There's <laughs> one guy you've never met before to just check up on them every once in a while. Very cool. Can we open an investigation on Robert Rodriguez? Because I'm <laughs> some things that are worrying me. <laughs> All of those characters are present in Spy Kids. That is so interesting. So he obviously had like, this was like a prelude to his big project. That was probably him just like testing some things out really building a rapport specifically with antonio and being like so you did really well in four rooms i really liked your your work where you left your kids behind and you seemed you played that very naturally would you like to play a father who also jeopardizes the life of his own kids again in right. perhaps a franchise well robert you know antonio banderas has been jeopardizing people's lives in a bunch of robert rodriguez movies because he took over as the mariachi in Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico as well. That Robert Rodriguez did before and after Spy Kids. So he's just kind of like the go-to guy. It's a typecast. I would cast Antonio Banderas in whatever I could cast Antonio Banderas in from a personal standpoint. Absolutely. That guy, he's smooth and he doesn't age. It's what what's he what's may the be immortal. In which case, I'm going to see if he would like to be in any of my sketch shows. I've got some right. good. I've got some parts. I think he would really. I think he would do very well for (laughs) there are some line reads in this movie that i don't know if you guys picked up on but they just are so it is so obvious that these child actors have not had a lot of experience as good as this movie is and as good as it was when i was a child there's a lack of comedic timing in a lot of these shots that makes it feel kind of stilted there is the scene with danny trejo where he is their biological uncle and they're meeting for the first time and carmen keeps just trying to be like would you do it for your brother no would you do it for us no would you she gets cut off no 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 and it's supposed to be funny the no's are supposed to come in and be comedic but just the pacing of the conversation and how quickly this movie moves it feels so unnatural that i feel like they kind of missed out on that part and there's one specific line in that carmen delivers where she's trying to convince him one last time between where they like 
spoiler alert, steal the plane, and are trying to convince him to save his brother. She says something, something. If we don't do something to help something, bad is going to happen. The way she reads the line, it sounds unnatural. She literally says, if we don't do something to help something, bad is going to happen. She reads it just like that. And I had to listen to that line probably three or four times before I realized it is supposed to be read, if we don't do something to help, something bad is going to happen. But she pauses at the wrong point. And it <laughs> totally up the line. And it makes it sound like she's not saying anything. Kids, man. Just hire some 20-year-olds who look really young. That's what Hollywood learned, I think, from this movie. Adults play kids better than anybody. I'm happy right. to report, though, Junie. I've seen him in a somewhat recent movie called um, Green Inferno. Have you guys ever seen that? I know of Green Inferno, Green but I haven't Inferno. seen it. it is, oh, that one is... Why does that a, sound... That one's it rough. It's a movie what? about cannibals. I was going to say, yeah. that's Cannibal Holocaust. I knew yeah. that it sounded familiar. That is the name of the Cannibal Holocaust movie. It is not. It's, it's just Green Inferno. Cannibal Holocaust was like in the 70s. Right. The, um, yes, it's in the, it's in the same vein as Cannibal yeah. Holocaust, yes. which, oh God, yeah. I have never been able to move it through. Well, not only because it's banned in most countries. But Christ on a cracker. It is a rough <laughs> movie to sit through. They show you everything. Right. But hey, his acting though. He made That's me believe true. he yeah. made me believe he was getting eaten. Spoiler alert. Uh, oh God. <laughs> Spoiler alert. The movie's about cannibalism. <laughs> have you seen the world's greatest dad with him in it? I have not. I don't think so. I've seen very uh, little of his of his work outside of the Spy Kids franchise. It is so it's a movie with Ron and, uh, with Robin Williams that was directed by Bobcat Goldthwaite and came out probably somewhere in the late aughts. In it, this is super spoilery. So if you want to watch this movie, tune out for like the next minute and a half. So Robin Williams it is, is his dad, and he is this high school student, and he is straight up shitty. He's racist. He's offensive. He is obsessed with scatological German pornography. Mm. <laughs> he's cool. not a great kid. And then in the first quarter of the movie, he dies by accidental autoerotic asphyxiation. What a way not to go. Not the way you want to go out. I... No, no dignity in that. <laughs> And it's funny in the way the movie is put together because, like, you think this is going to be all about their relationship if you watch the trailers and then, like, a quarter of the way into the movie, he, you know, Robin Williams finds him dead at his computer with his pants down. And the rest of the movie is about Robin Williams lying about who his son was so that he looks like a better father. So, like, he kind of can build another son now that his son is dead so that it's not as bad as it actually was. Could it be? Oh, to be ashamed of simply the way of which your child died. That is very... That's right. It's a weird movie. Yeah, it's apparently so he probably he he seems to have a thing going on <laughs> for movies that are kind of rough to watch. <laughs> kind of difficult to sit through. I had and a there good is time. So much, in Spy Kids, there is so <laughs> much to unpack. We haven't even covered probably two thirds of this movie. There's so much to touch on. There is one joke that I would love to talk about and hear your guys' opinion on. Did you catch the kamikaze joke that Carmen made? No. I did because I said out loud, what the fuck? I did as well. What was it? <laughs> I love a movie that has just, just like in Bill and Ted, just like the movie's going great and there's just that one 
line. That one that line that does you, it. You're, you're taken aback by it. <laughs> it was when she, was it the jetpack scene? It was while they were in the plane. That's it. They had to go into manual and they kept knocking shit off the side of the plane. And she like, she yells at Junie. She's like, you're going to kamikaze us. If you keep doing that and starts calling him names and that leads to diaper lady. Diaper lady. Sick diaper burns. lady. Burn on his part. Finally standing up for himself. And that crushed her. That's a fundamental misunderstanding of so many different concepts. Truly. <laughs> and I think that can be said for a huge portion of this film. Crashing a plane is not, you have got to do it on purpose if you're doing a kamikaze. And if it's an accident, that's just a plane crash. Like that's not... <laughs> That's just it's just a regular old plane crash. It's yeah. Just, it's just like being eight and not knowing how to pilot a plane. Can you blame him? Could you imagine though, someone in a recent movie, they're flying a plane and they're doing it badly, and they make the joke of, "Hey, what are you trying to do? Like nine eleven us? How terrible oh that God. would be!" Like, <laughs> I'd just like to say, I would have loved to be the set designer for this movie. I'm just going to steer the conversation as far away from 9-11 as possible. <laughs> do it. I loved to do set work on this movie because just inside of Floop's castle, it is insane. All of the design, like in the room where they transform people into the Fuglies or whatever, mm-hmm. it is just so fun to look at. I think they wanted the set to distract from the dialogue in a lot of this. And it does a fantastic job because I've watched this twice now and i don't remember a lot of what is said i think my biggest gripe with kids movies nowadays is they're not as fun like they want to be cool hip slick that's what they want to be they don't want to be crazy weird they're like they're afraid to try something weird that's yeah and that's a huge thing is like i feel like kids movies today have become so formulaic and that's why it's kind of it's hard to discern between different kids movies because they are all essentially the same they're not as creative as they used to be and granted in the early aughts when we were making movies like this there was a lot more untouched ground and a lot more things that needed to be discovered to create the formula that we have for kids movies today it's just nothing is as unique as the kids movies that i and this is me being biased as of (laughs) course as the movies that came out when i was a kid it's crazy to look at now well and even i think what this movie has going for it is the balance of wish fulfillment and adventure because i was kind of thinking that of that as i was watching it i mean this is how even the harry potter movies started out where like two-thirds of the first harry potter movie is wish fulfillment it's just Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff that it's like hey wouldn't it be cool if you can do this like that has no bearing on the story whatsoever it's just a bunch of shit that would be cool if it real. Absolutely. And I'm surprised we haven't already touched on this, but I associate Spy Kids with Shark Boy and Lava Girl so intimately that I I will sometimes mix up parts of each movie with each other because they're so similar in the way that they are shot, but that's exactly it. And there's even like a point in Shark Boy and Lava Girl where it is literally just about like your dreams. It's they're in like the dream, they're inside the main kids dreams and they're on like this mm-hmm. chocolate river floating on a giant cookie. That would have absolutely been my shit if I was a kid I was obsessed with stuff like that and that's exactly it is like it is like being in a child's dream right but yeah I think the weird stuff is what especially from an adult standpoint when you see the weird the flooby show where you're just like what right <laughs> <laughs> that's the stuff that really sets it apart there's not enough trauma in uh, these new kids movies <laughs> right yeah, <laughs> 
Hopefully they just don't scar you like they used to. They don't. And I, kids kids could use a good scarring every now and then. Right? These yeah. kids these days, they're too soft. I got so much shit wrong with me because of the media. <laughs> I can see Speaking of the set, what I thought it looked like is what you look at when you're standing in line for the ride at like Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is very like, like, amusement parky. I right. Like they have part of the hallway that the parents walk through and then the kids walk through later where like the puzzle pieces drop out. Yes. And that, I, I feel like I have seen that done in actual amusement parks and it maybe is inspired by this movie specifically, but yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. I've seen an instance of where there's like a skywalk where the whole thing is glass and you walk over part of it and it looks like it's shattering underneath my you. My worst fear. Oh my <laughs> God. I, you could not pay me money to do one of those things. I'd I'm like so to crazy. imagine that I'm clever enough to not fall for that trick, but at the same time, I know I'm not. I know I'm not. Like I know that I'm yeah. going to be screaming <laughs> my head off. I know I'm going to be saying every <laughs> cuss word under under the <laughs> but so the parents get taken hostage as we we kind of alluded to before and the kids have to rescue them by employing danny trejo's cue which is a nice mix-up like we said before where you know you've got the big tough mexican danny trejo being the smart guy and turns out that the bad guy who just wants to god that's what oh, it's doing it again West, the bad guy just wants to make his art and he's accidentally enabling the the real bad guy from doing the stuff. I was watching it and I was like, Mr. Floop, you don't have to be a bad guy. You're an incredible sculptor. Right. (laughs) You don't have to turn to a life of crime. You could be an artist. (laughs) But he's just doing it because he's being enabled by the actual bad guy so that he, oh, Jesus Christ, man. That twist comes and you really, I honestly didn't see it coming because I thought for a while that Minion was just this unassuming henchman being bossed around by Floop, but all Floop wants is a successful kids show. I think it's a fair assumption to say if I were to ever become a supervillain in my lifetime, I would turn into Floop. Like I would be just, I think constantly. the wrong word. I think when you become a supervillain. When I become, in my hopefully near distant future, when I become a (laughs) supervillain. When I become a supervillain, I'm going to turn into Floop. And I feel like this character has some sort of ADHD because he's always fidgeting with something. He's always... A little bit. He's always he's like, got his, like... His ball of clay is like his STEM toy. Exactly. To just mess with all thinking about stuff and doing like this. Oh my God, just the most He beautiful. and I, we I share so many mannerisms. So the parents are held prisoner and poor Ingrid has to watch her husband get turned into one of these flugies. Or Fooglies or whatever they're... Fooglies. 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 That which I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And that's got to be so traumatic to watch the love of your life be turned into like this giant... Basically looks like a gingerbread man. Oh my god, that poor woman is going to need years of therapy after that. Yeah, they do that and then fix it totally on the down low. Like where it's like, he's he's one of these things now. And then, oh no, he's not... The pace of this movie, it just moves so quickly through everything. And that's why I think it's good for a kid's movie because once you get too much into the details of like how exactly it works, you lose the attention of the children is probably why it moves so quickly. But yeah, they find the parents so quickly. They use their acid crayon, break them out, apologize. They're they're wrapping up loose ends in those scenes and just moving on to the next thing. They turn Minion into the dude with the three heads on his own head with the multiple hands. Oh, and the mouths, the interactive mouths as well, when they all smiled. Yep. Nightmare fuel. I like it. 
I really, I actually <laughs> really liked that character design, and they bring it up in the second movie, I believe. Oh, they do. In the third movie comes back. He is in the third movie for like a second. Mm -hmm. Nice. I did make a note when they are confronting him at the lab at some point where Antonio Banderas is there first and he's like, well, how will you save your wife? And she just kind of comes up from the floor. She's like, I'm already here. And he's like, but your kids. And they both come up from the floor. Like, Are they all just ducking down on the fucking floor? Like, how did he miss them when they came in? But I, oh, in that scene, I really liked that they used Junie's ability to mimic people, which they brought up in the first half of the movie. I right. like that they brought that back because I think that that was a really interesting, like, most of the spy stuff that the kids do, they're kind of like fumbling their way through. But that ability to so perfectly mimic somebody, I think, is a genuine like good spy ability to have his ability to annoy his sister is his superpower yeah <laughs> wow. and it comes in handy it saves lives the justice league needs to like wrap me up or something because i have that same <laughs> ability except you know my voice mimicking isn't isn't as nice as his and then we have all of these robotic children who they get their brains finally and they can like i don't know think for themselves I mean, they're programmed. They can, I guess the point of the brains is just so they can speak English instead of like that weird gibberish that they do in the first. Well, yeah, so they can, they can accept the program at that point, as opposed to just, but they were doing things before, like they ran and they flipped over Robert Patrick and whatnot. So like that was a program. It just wasn't as complicated, I guess. Supposedly it's supposed to make them smarter. So it's supposed to give them information as well. So like when they were testing them before, like, what are some of the ways you can tell someone was lying? I don't think they knew the answer to that. But after they got the brain, they can like associate a liar from a truther, a truth teller. Mm -hmm. yep. Just like little, <laughs> <laughs> little things like that. And so we get to the point where the family is all back together and the army of children is like ready to go. And Floop is in his tech room trying to reprogram the children. And they're like, just teach them good from bad, which is a callback to another line. It would be the third time that that concept has been brought up, right? Uh, teaching them good from bad, because we have a uh, Junie or Carmen complaining about taking care of Junie, teach Junie right from wrong. And then Danny Trejo's character machete says, I had to teach Gregorio right from wrong. And they say, you need to teach these robot children right from wrong. And he's like, oh, it's a binary system or whatever. But they know right from wrong because they've been programmed to just do generic evil, apparently. Right. And so he just switches the switch from evil to good, like in a The Simpsons episode mm -hmm. with the haunted Krusty the Clown doll. And then yes. it's all good. <laughs> and so we have them. They're ready. They're like, we'll each take four sectors of this army of 500 kids. And Junie's like, we need one more person. And then Machete breaks through the window for basically no reason other than to show that he cares about his brother again, because right. immediately all the kids turn good. And you can see in one frame when the kids start running to give them all hugs, Danny Trejo has this horrified smile on his face that I think just comes from maybe being genuinely shocked at what's happening. <laughs> And it, it just was such a genuine reaction to everyone else's like serious faces that I thought was hilarious. My son pointed out one of the kids at the near the back of that crowd of robot kids because the kids in back, once they wash over them and go get the bad guys, there's a shot of where the robot kids are going by. The ones at the back of the pack look so bored. They were. Oh, okay. 
They've had to do this scene so many freaking times. They don't even really want to be there. Even my son was like, I saw one at the end. He was not into it. No. <laughs> so I guess the evil is defeated because the kids are good now and they go hug the people to death. I guess they're like, not they're to tossing to them. They're throwing them up right. with that lovely mm-hmm. CG body <laughs> swinging all over the place. <laughs> and then the evil is defeated. And right. And then they go do random good in the world. Are the, are the robot kids ever thrown back to every once in a while? They said at the end that they were like kind of superheroes. Like they've been helping people like out of fire right. in the sequels. They've been using them for the flu TV show. At least the Carmen that's such a missed opportunity for the universe at some point like in another one of the episodes for them to be like in some kind of dire situation and all of a sudden one of the robot kids swoops in and saves them <laughs> like how perfect would that be i don't think they are brought up again in the other movies uh, in the franchise bullshit wasted opportunities the they're no longer part of the lore and then we find ourselves back at the cortez house they're probably trying to heal from the past couple days events having their breakfast and then george clooney we get a beautiful cameo george clooney as the president with his little black bar that he can remove from his eyes which i always really liked i thought that was a very funny gag for this that's a cute, i, that's a I cute adored that that was wonderful also if you know who george clooney is like even if he wasn't george clooney just having the face that george clooney has with the black bars at no point where you were like i wonder who that is no. <laughs> <laughs> Like George Clooney has a face that you're never not going to be like, oh, that's that guy with that face. Yeah, exactly. And he's just like, he's got such a well-recognized face, but so simple, like plain enough, not too unique that he can play any president. Oh, yeah. So did you guys recognize Terry Hatcher? Do you know who Terry Hatcher is? I'm um, Terry Hatcher played uh, Miss I can tell Franco. you who she played. She was the supposed boss of the spy organization who turns out to be a turncoat. Oh, yes. For she some set reason. Her hair on fire. Yes. Yeah. And they set her hair on fire. She was a big deal at the time when this movie was made. Oh, really? I mean, she's yeah. still even bald and missing hair looked so good. Oh, she, oh, I God, thought yeah. she pulled that off <laughs> wonderfully. You have to do a lot of work to take away from that appearance. You know, it's a kid's movie, so she gets three quarters of her hair burnt off and doesn't, like, get it cut or styled or even shave it. Like, she could go Furiosa on it and would mm-hmm. look good. And she's just trying to rock what she's got. Like. Also, right. how can convenient that there weren't any burn marks or anything it's just right just the hair just the hair not wasn't freddy krueger at all (laughs) no after her hair was burnt off of her face by a jetpack or (laughs) (laughs) you gotta love cartoon physics they are the best possible physics you have to suspend your disbelief for a good portion of this the duration of the movie yeah the entire thing pretty much i think if you just go in that way (laughs) thumb robots If you don't check out at Thumb Robots and Mutated Spies acting on children's shows from Willy Wonka-esque islands. Exactly. (laughs) And I feel like there was a a reference to, I think Rodriguez for this movie did draw a lot of inspiration from the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka. I could see it. There was something, I think, about the way that Floop was constantly molding the clay, I think is a reference, is like an homage to part of the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka. I'm not sure exactly. I'd have to rewatch that movie to know specifically what I'm talking about. But 
I had read that. Or at least like the song that he sang, kind of like in the middle, mm-hmm. where he kind of Oh right. Where he wasn't sure what was missing. That felt very Gene Wilder, mm-hmm. Willy Wonka esque. It is kind of fun because it's a Robert Rodriguez movie where and he does work so quickly and cheaply that you can see the seams occasionally. Like mm-hmm. there's a shot near the end where Floop and the kids are running down the hallway and he does this big long skidding stop because they need to take a left as opposed to going the way that they were going and you can see the scuffs of the previous takes on the <laughs> oh floor yeah <laughs> from where this movie oh they i think they were just trying to get through it as quickly as possible to get it really yeah i mean because for the amount of money this cost it looks like a lot more than that and that's because robert Rodriguez does a lot of his own special effects right. and knows how to work cheap because that's where he started especially if you look at his early movies back before guerrilla filmmaking in the 90s style was a big thing with a lot of his releases he's always on the dvd would have stuff like a five minute film school so here's how i managed to do this stuff so quickly and cheaply and just doing things like on his first super low budget movie that he did uh, il mariachi in mexico where he would be able to make it look like he was using more cameras than he was because when he shot a scene he would only have one camera so he'd have to shoot it from two different angles or he would have to shoot it twice from two different angles but from the first angle between lines he would zoom in and out so when he cut it together it would look more like he was using two cameras at the same time but in reality he was using one camera and just had to cut it together. That is so smart he's really good at just working with whatever it is that he's got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I give him props to that and he made a fantastic family movie and like it comes back at the the very end of the film it comes back to that whole family values dynamic that i feel like gets lost a little bit in the middle of the film when you get wrapped up in everything else that's going on but he does a, right. a really good job at tying it all together at the end and i think that this movie as wild as it is it has been able to stand the test of time just because it is such a good film for anybody to watch i would be inclined to agree i was pleasantly surprised in watching it it was cute like i wouldn't rank it as my favorite of anything but like i was expecting an aggressive, frantic, cut-happy, really loud, obnoxious kids movie. Right. Basically everything running like it looked like the floopy show (laughs) all the time. All the time, which would have been an assault on the senses. Oh my right. Gosh. But but that doesn't stop them sometimes. Like they make those right. and it's just like, oh no. But it, but it wasn't that. <laughs> I'd say it's definitely iconic for sure. If it hasn't been deemed so already. So Matt, yeah. I want to know what would you rate this movie out of 10? What is your impression? Oh, of film? How would I rate this movie? By what standard? <laughs> <laughs> Out of flugel. <laughs> How many flugies would you give this movie? I I think I would put it somewhere around like a seven. I want to say if we're That's rating fair. it out of ten, like That's generous. Yeah, it's got some dings because it's a kids movie that is a kids movie and wears that on its sleeve. So, but it's also better than it has any right to be because the amount of care and intention that went into making it and not making it, having that balance of weird and family friendly stuff with the exception of kids that randomly steal stuff from stores rocket an entire rack of clothes out of the store out of the shop nobody bad to that (laughs) and then cuddling strangers on a streetcar other than that though Great. I'm a solid eight out of ten with my flugels. It would have been a perfect ten out of ten, but that Kazakami joke, that uh, Kazakami joke, (laughs) 
Come, come. <laughs> I'm gonna hit right in the middle. I'll give it a seven and a half out of ten. Seven and a half. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That was, it that. wasn't too bad, but it wasn't as good as I remembered it being. Like I said, I was watching this with some nostalgia goggles. Did the nostalgia goggles affect anything? Because like I've noticed that when I go back and I, especially with like Short Circuit and some of those, where I was just like, oh man, I I remember all of this. There was actually a lot of parts of this movie that I did not remember but also I was very young when this movie did come out so I and my memory of my childhood is vague at best so there were it was kind of like watching some of these scenes for the first time and I think that kind of boosted my enjoyment of the movie because I was like I'd never noticed that before I didn't remember this scene this is nuts right a lot of it it was pretty much exactly as I remembered with the few minor details as Wes said being pointed out but overall I I felt the same amount of joy that I did as a kid. I was delighted the entire time. Right. So that is the 2001 movie Spy Kids. For me, who had never seen it before and was too old for this shit when it came out, (laughs) turns out I'm still too old for this shit, but at least it's entertaining. And so thank you for listening to Late to the Party. Wes, Sydney, what else do you guys have going on in your lives? I'm so glad you asked, Matt. I have currently... Because of the pandemic, we've taken a bit of a break, but I am hoping to get some sketch stuff back off the ground, and hopefully within the next couple months, we'll be dropping some sketches from my group, Inner City Gargoyles, that I do with Catherine Gary and Lily Bivojevic. We are excited to finally get some stuff filmed, so keep an eye out for that. Once we do have stuff on the internet that you guys can actually watch, I will be dropping the links to that. We'll put it on, hopefully be able to put it on the Facebook page, just so people can see what other stuff we've been getting up to. And hopefully my dear friend who also works at Comedy City, LD and I, are releasing a podcast called Goof Off, which is a game show podcast we are very excited to present to you guys. So within the next month or so, look out for that. You'll be able to, again, find us on any platform. We'll be on Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are able to listen to podcasts, you will see Goof Off. And I'm super, super excited for you guys to be able to hear that. Cool. Sydney, you got anything? Yeah. Um, I If you are craving any live theater and you are in the Kansas City area, I have been doing The Dinner Detective in Kansas City. It's a, oh, cool. Yeah. It's one of the only theater things that I'm familiar with right now that are actually doing shows. Uh, a lot of my other theater experiences have been halted at the moment. So I'm taking a break from acting for a little while and I'm starting to do makeup, some special effects makeups. I will hopefully get to the point where I can make a good flugie or flugel. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't have an Instagram account for that, but I think I will be starting one soon. So maybe by the next time we have a podcast or something, I can drop a link for that. So if you want to see some weird kooky stuff, that's where to go. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for listening to Late to the Party. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. If you haven't done that already, share, send us money. You can do that through Anchor. We're doing this for free as it is right now and uh, getting paid for it would be awesome. But until you can hear from us again, that'll be it. And we will see you next time. Late to the party. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.